Welcome to Discover Your Destiny podcast, where we believe that your life is not an accident. You have a destiny, and we want to help you discover it, pursue it, and fulfill it. And now, here's your host for today, Dima Barishnikov. Welcome to Discover Your Destiny, where we believe that your life is not an accident, but you have a destiny. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm, I'm excited about being here and spending some time with you. Uh, and I hope as you listen to this podcast, as well as to other podcasts, you are inspired and pushed to go after your dream, to go after your destiny and actually fulfill what you were born to do. When we come face to face with our purpose in life, we, and we make a commitment to go after it, to go after our dream, amazing things, can happen in our life. Our life can take a turn that we never imagined before. God has wonderful things in store for all of us, but we may never find out about them if we don't say yes and don't make that decision to go after that dream. And today we'll be talking with someone whose life took that turn and uh, brought him to 106 countries all over the world, helping people, doing medical missions. I have with me here a good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Paul Williams. Uh, Dr. Williams is a medical doctor, a neonatologist by training whom God called and sent, uh, sent him out all over the world. And what a ride it has been. Welcome, Dr. Williams. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much for being here. Glad to be here. And um, I would like to go ahead and start asking you some questions about your life because I've known you for uh, many years now. Right. But I, I, I suspect that a lot some details you're going to share today that I don't even know. <laughs> uh, so um, I would like to ask you some questions about your life, if you don't mind, and sure. let our audience to get to know you better and get acquainted with you. So. Um, so uh, tell me a little bit about how you how you grew up. What what stood out from your childhood? What was considered to be normal during your uh, childhood years and maybe even teen years? Well, I'm not so sure anything could be considered normal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, my dad was involved in ministry. Uh, he uh, actually worked with Bible schools uh, for the Assemblies of God. The first one was out in Southern California Bible College which later on became uh, Vanguard University. Mm -hmm. He then went from there down to Florida to Southeastern, at that time, Southeastern Bible Institute, which mm -hmm. became Southeastern Bible College and Southeastern yeah. University right now. And then he went up to Evangel uh, College uh, and became the academic dean up there. So he moved around a lot. So that was not a normal mm -hmm. growing pattern. Uh, and in fact, when my dad was out in California, he worked on his PhD from the University of Minnesota and uh, living in California. So every summer we would drive from California to Minnesota. Wow. And yeah. sometimes he would take the northern route and go through the Dakotas and Wyoming yeah. and come through northern California. Other times he would take the southern route and go through Arizona, New Mexico and uh, those southern uh, states. Mm -hmm. And so I really... By the time I was 15, I'd been in about 45 states. So wow. I've been yeah. in 106 countries, yeah. but I also, as a child, uh, really visited many different yeah. of our states. 
So, um, uh, so when did you feel a call to become a doctor? Is it something when you were small, you were kind of dreaming about uh, being a doctor or how did it happen? Well, actually, you know, being involved with the Assemblies of God yeah. uh, and so many of my uncles and aunts were either missionaries or pastors or husbands or wives of uh ministers or pastors within the Assemblies of God. And of course, in those years, many people did not look very kindly on medicine. They looked at, they believed in divine healing. They actually sometimes looked away from traditional medicine. So rather than growing up thinking that being a doctor was going to be this great thing, yeah. uh, instead, it was. I thought it was going to be a missionary. Actually, I was 11 years old when my dad was down at uh, Southeastern Bible College. Mm-hmm. And during a summer camp, uh, with families, a family summer camp, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, I want you to be in full-time service. Mm-hmm. That was the calling I had in my life. And I re- would really like to speak to young people that when the Lord speaks to you, even when you're young, you need to realize that you really can hear from God. But I remember the reaction of some older people when I would tell them, I, God spoke to me and said, he wants me to be in full-time service. And a few of them would kind of pat me on the head and say, we understand, but they really didn't believe God spoke to me. But I would look up at them and I would say in my mind, I didn't say it with my mouth. I said, you don't know, God spoke to me. And he said, I want you to be in full-time service. Well, three years later, when I was 14 years of age, I was at a youth camp in Florida and I was sharing with other young people, how God had spoken to me when I was 11, and the Lord gave me a vision. It's the uh, only real vision that I've had, Uh but I saw in front of me uh, uh, many dark-skinned individuals with their hands in in the air and praising the Lord, and there was a man up front uh, preaching, and I uh, felt in my spirit God was saying, I want you to be a missionary. Mm -hmm. And I was saying, well... Lord, I'm willing to be a missionary, but my concept of a missionary was I was going to be up there doing the preaching. Why am I down here in the audience? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, the Lord just said, no, I want you to I want you to be a missionary. And I remember saying, yes, Lord, I'm willing to be a missionary. But I didn't understand until later that he didn't tell me I was not going to be the one up there preaching. Well, it turned out 25 years later when we started healthcare ministries for the Assemblies of God, their medical mission program. My uncle, Morris Williams, who was actually field director for Africa, he said, Paul, we're having a sub-Saharan African conference for 1,200 leaders all over Africa. Mm -hmm. And I think it'd be good if you'd go there and introduce this new program of medicine, medical missions, to the people there. So that's when I went. I went to Yamasuka Ivory Coast, and uh, I was able to be at this meeting where 1,200 other leaders from all over Africa. Well, one of the services, I was down front on the left-hand side. I looked up and I saw a man preaching on the platform. And I looked around and there were many people with their hands, dark-skinned individuals, Africans with their hands in praise to the Lord. And I saw what I had seen 25 years before when I was 14. So I was 39 years old at that particular time when we started the medical program. Oh, that's incredible, and that's, that's uh, fascinating. And what's fascinating for me is uh, you came out of a family that, um, family of pastors yes. and educators, um, so, but yet you became a medical doctor first yes. before you became a missionary. Yes. So how, and I know God called you to full-time service. How was that transition? When did you feel like, 
you're not going to become an engineer, you're not going to become a mechanic, you're not going to become a teacher, but you're going to be a medical doctor. Well, wh when did it happen? Well, that didn't happen until I was about 16. In uh -huh. other words, at 14 is when I had that vision, yeah. uh, being a missionary, and I said, yes, Lord, I'm willing to be a missionary. But about two years later, I had someone speak to me mm -hmm. uh, and just said, you know, the way the world is going today, if you're going to be a missionary, the traditional concept of missions is changing. And it really will help if you had a profession or some yeah. other means of being able to get into countries. And that very well proved to be true. But uh -huh. the Lord laid on my heart that he wanted me to be a doctor. Well, uh -huh. when I said that to other folks around me, they were kind of looking askance. Yeah. Rather than being excited about it, they thought yeah. I was taking less than the uh, high road. They thought yeah. if I should have taken a normal missionary uh, calling yeah. rather than being a doctor. So it wasn't easy. Yeah, it wasn't. But And I know from what you shared with me before, uh, you actually uh, graduated as a medical doctor and uh, became neonatologist working with the little uh, kids, infants. Right. And uh, you worked um, at the hospital and taught at the hospital, right? In South, um, South Florida? Is that... Uh, well, actually, I, at, that was a little bit later. I was for 15 years on the faculty of the University of South Florida. But okay. I, there was a a lot of other things that happened between. Yes. Uh, so actually, I did my internship and residency up in uh, Michigan at William Beaumont Hospital. Yeah. And would you believe this? Neonatology did not exist as a specialty when I started medical school. Really? Wow. And yeah. so uh, when I actually took my neonatal boards, I took at the same time as the people that taught me neonatology. Why did you choose neonatology? What's well, that's very, very interesting. I Actually, when I started um, medical school, I thought I would be a surgeon. I yeah. thought, you know, if you're going to be yeah. a missionary doctor, surgery sounded yeah. pretty yeah. good. But then when I finished uh, at Wash University in St. Louis, uh, internal medicine was kind of the god of the school at that yeah. particular time. I thought, well, I'll become an internist. Yeah. In fact, there was a very interesting thing. You talk about circumstances that happen in your life that where you got, realized God was leading you and didn't even know it. Yes, I mean, yes. You know, well, when I was uh, a junior in um, medical school, uh, the Vietnam War was going mm -hmm. on and many doctors were being drafted. Yeah. And there was a program called the Berry Program that allowed you to defer being drafted so that you could finish your residency before you had to go into the military. Well, I signed up for the Berry Plan as in internal medicine. Well, it turned out uh, so many of the doctors in the United States signed up for the Berry Plan that they wouldn't give me what I asked for. So I said, well, if they're not going to give me what I want for, I'll just take my chances that I would be drafted. So yeah. I actually went in and had my physical and everything, and oh, I was yeah. 1M, and yeah. I could have been drafted into Vietnam. Well, yeah. what happened was so many doctors signed up for the Berry Plan that they didn't draft me. Okay. I never got drafted. Yeah. So I went to uh, do my internship and residency. And after I was in my into my first year of residency in yeah. pediatrics, in fact, I switched from internal medicine, a surgery, internal medicine to pediatrics when yeah. I did my okay. rotation, uh, that uh, I missed being drafted. But the doctors that were going through their training one year after me, mm -hmm. the, like the interns, they got drafted. I was in my first year of residency, so I missed the draft yeah. by one year. So this was something that only the Lord could have known because I didn't realize I didn't try to skip Vietnam. Mm -hmm. It just happened the way God uh, did yeah. things. Well, it turned out I was at Beaumont Hospital in Royal Oak, Michigan, and uh, they were wanting to start a neonatology program. Mm -hmm. And so they approached me and said, uh, Dr. Williams, would you be willing to go to a 
neonatology program. We'll, uh, you can go anywhere you want in Canada, the United States, and uh, we'll cover your cost if you'll come back and agree to help us start a neonatology program. Well, I was really conflicted at that time. In fact, this is one of the things I'd like to tell people when the way is not clear, when you can't see really clearly, just because they asked me didn't mean I was supposed to do that. Mm -hmm. And um, I had several pediatricians in the area in uh, uh, Royal Oak, Michigan, in that area, that asked me to join their practice in pediatrics. And I really didn't know what God wanted me yeah. to do at that time. In fact, this was one of those times when I had to walk blind, so to speak. Yeah. I didn't have a clear vision. In fact, sometimes God has given me such a clear vision like he did when, when he called me to be a doctor mm -hmm. and, and talk, called me to missions. But I was really confused. This was one time when I, God was totally silent. Wow. Yeah. And, and I had several different opportunities. So what I did was I, I turned to the Lord and I said, Lord, I'm going to just trust you. You said if I would acknowledge you in all of my ways that you would direct my steps and my path and you'd establish my thoughts, then my plans would succeed. So I said, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to make the best decision I think I can, but I don't have any internal guidance. Yeah. And I chose neonatology. And I could later on explain why that all worked out, but it was absolutely the right decision. Wow in neonatology, but they asked me and I went back and became a neonatologist at Beaumont Hospital. That's amazing that God is leading you and directing your steps when you even may not realize it and you don't see how that decision is going to fit in the yeah. big picture of things. But later in life, you look back and, and you see God was involved in every detail. Sometimes he gives you that that clear dream or clear destination where you're going to be but those steps how to get there sometimes they're unclear and you have to trust the lord in the process that you will get there absolutely he, and you know you uh, it's i would never have chosen neonatology as the field to go into to become the head of a medical missions program for the assemblies of god why neonatology yeah. <laughs> you know people would say well why don't you be a surgeon or why don't you be a family practice doc or something like that but it turned out i can't it take too long to explain to you why it actually was the right decision right each step of the way. Yeah, the Lord, uh, uh, the Lord was guiding you. Steps yes. of a good man, as Bible yes. says, ordered by God. Um, so, you know, uh, when I read read the Bible, um, just right now, I'm reminded um, about one story from the Bible when Jesus called his disciples, mm -hmm. and uh, he found them fishing. That's what they, they were fishermen. That was their business. So he called them, and they left everything and followed him. And I think many people today try to love Jesus from their boats. They don't want to leave the boat. They don't want to, they don't want to go after the God-given dream, after the dream that God has given them. They want to stay in the same boat, but they still want to want to go with God. So it's kind of, they conflicted. So, and they never willing to actually make that step, step out of the boat and, and discover what God wanted them to do. So, and they may have, they may have a dream, but they never make that first step. So what was that uh, experience at the Sea of Galilee, so to speak for you, when you um, now established doctor and, and, suddenly, you know, you make a decision that you're going to get away from full-time practice and from teaching uh, the, at the University of South Florida and, and just go to missions. You know, what, what was that 
point? What was that experience? Well, for me, because God called me in full-time ministry and then into uh, medicine, I thought oh, as soon as I finished medical school and my training that I was then going to be going into missions right away. So as opposed to not wanting to get out of my boat, I was wanting to get out of my boat probably 10 years before he took okay. me out of the boat. <laughs> I was chomping at the bit. In yeah. fact, I remember talking to my wife, Sophia, and I said, honey, this was when we were down in South Florida, University of South Florida, and I was a social professor yeah. of pediatrics there. I said, honey, we're not where we're ultimately going to be. Something is stirring in my spirit. We have not landed where God has called me. Yeah. So I was wanting to get out of the boat, but God said, no, you need to stay in the boat for a while longer. And it's proved to be true because uh, the things that I learned by doing the work with the university, by being a neonatologist, by uh, the experiences that I had, it was training me yeah. to be able to do the things I needed to do. I didn't know I needed that training. I wanted to jump out and just begin doing mission work right away. Uh -huh. but God had a different plan and I had to be patient. So he said, wait, that's a very hard yeah. thing to do. Wait. <laughs> but then he... The waiting time was over and, yes. uh, and he called you. So what was the response from your colleagues or from suddenly, you know, you, you have a practice, you teach in and and uh, and suddenly you say, um, I'm going full time ministry, you yeah. know, so when uh, I, I had a real funny experience, yeah. you might not say this. Uh, I actually had presented to the foreign missions department of the assemblies the desire to do medical missions uh -huh. and uh, they agreed in principle to do that. And so they had a meeting uh, back in 1983, yeah. uh, and they said, uh, we want you to come and, and, and start a medical mission, but we're gonna have a committee to decide what we're, how this is going to look. Uh -huh. Well, I went to that committee, and I thought I was gonna be going into missions in 1983. Uh -huh. And uh, so I resigned my position at the university, yeah. thinking this is in May, and I thought, and I, the university in July was when you normally would make the transition. Mm -hmm. I go to the committee, and the committee said, "We want to start a medical mission program, but we recommend that you maintain your position at the university." I had to ask my from my position back. Uh, that that was, was awkward. <laughs> oh, you talk about an awkward thing because I said I'm going to go into full time ministry. I was all excited about it, and they asked me to take. Uh, my position back. And fortunately, they had not replaced me. Mm -hmm. So I was able to fit right back into this position. The subsequent year, they said uh, they're going to now start a full program. And even that was uh, kind of rocky how we got yeah. started. But we did start in uh, June of 1984. And that's when the full-time medical mission program began. But it was not an easy thing uh, to get uh, get it off the ground. So, um when did you know, basically, that you had to walk away from medical practice permanently? Well, at that particular point, the second time when I told them I'm leaving, yeah. I, I said to them, I'm leaving. I'm not coming back. If they don't somehow... You're talking about the University of South Florida. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And in fact, uh, one of the persons there, the, the chief of the department, he said to me, now, Paul, you know that if you walk away, you'll never be able to come back. And I realized that it was a now or never moment. I yeah. mean, I knew this was a decision. You had to step out of the boat. There. I had to step yeah. out of the boat. And yeah. I knew that that if for some reason, this was so much on my heart, that if for some reason the door didn't open up for the assemblies mm -hmm. at that point, that I was not going to be coming back to the university. It was I was stepping out of the boat. Almost felt like walking yeah. on water sometimes. Yeah. So you stepped out of your boat, so to speak, mm -hmm. and uh, left University of South Florida, left me medical practice. 
And um, so now uh, the rest is history. 106 countries later. That's amazing that you've been in so many countries. Not just, you, you didn't go there on vacation. You actually went to help people and, and uh, do medical missions. So uh, I'm sure a lot of these experiences were amazing experiences. But yes. what stands out in your mind? Maybe maybe a few experiences you can share with us uh, here. Um, and what, what kind of you remember? about those experiences? Well, maybe I'll start off by sharing with one of the worst disasters that the world has ever experienced mm -hmm. that I got involved with. This was back in 1994. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember uh, I was asked uh, by Pat Robertson, because I was with Operation Blessing at that particular time, to go to Goma Zaire, which is now Congo, mm -hmm. because the Hutus and the Tutsis had been fighting in Rwanda and the Hutus had killed almost 1.2 million Tutsi. Wow. Well, then the Tutsis came back in and drove the Hutus out, and there was a million refugees in Goma Zaire. And we flew over there, and I remember feeling in my abdomen, just, I, I, in fact, the way I said it was my belly. I yeah. felt in my belly like it was jelly. I mean, I didn't know what I was going to be facing. Yeah. And I just felt uneasy. I was really praying. I'm saying, God, what is this all about? Well, the day we arrived, there were 10,000 bodies on the ground. And 60,000 people died over about uh, six weeks. Yeah. I worked in a camp of about 450,000 people. We were starting IVs on people. I worked in the pediatric tent. Mm -hmm. uh, Doctors Without Borders have actually uh, erected a tent the day before we arrived. We were the first ones to actually use the tent that they had erected. And babies were just like cordwood, lined up shoulder to shoulder next to each other. They had adult tent too, but I was in the pediatric tent and it was just so sad. Sometimes mothers would come in and their babies would die just a few moments after they brought them in. There was cholera, dysentery, meningitis, uh, every kind of disease you can imagine. And uh, the babies were just so weak. Sometimes we had to stick tubes down their stomach, give them a little bit of slow drip or start an IV on them. And um, over the, the that couple week period of time there, so many people had died, but uh, we were able to offer them hope. Now, yeah. the, the unfortunate thing was that we couldn't speak the local language. The language was in Gala, uh -huh. but also the, the educated people spoke French and none of us on the team could actually speak either language, but we could speak the language of love. Yes. And so whenever we would touch the people, we'd be praying, we'd be asking God to uh, touch these little ones or the adults. And we really were able to show the love of God. In fact, one of the Doctors Without Borders uh, uh, from Belgium, mm -hmm. uh, he looked at our team and he said, you know what? He says, when I looked uh, around and saw all the devastation and the people dying, he says, I didn't think God was in this place. Mm-hmm. But he said, after we've seen you working, I think he is. And one wow. of the interesting yeah. things was we actually had presence there for about six months. Uh, and I went down there another time for a two week stint. But uh, there was a group of uh, Hutus, Christian Hutus, that erected a tent and they established a church there. And guess what they named the church? God walks in this place. Wow. It's incredible because... Yeah. Even in the middle of some of the greatest horrific situations, yeah. they said God is still there in the middle of death and dying and disease. And so that was a very much of an incredible experience for me. That's amazing. It sounds so overwhelming. Yes. Uh, when it, it's almost like it, it 
trying those kind of experiences trying to suck out hope out of you when you yes. see this devastation yes. you think it's all hopeless but when you know god and you walk with him there's always hope i, I mean there's plenty of people you couldn't help they they already died and devastation was incredible but there were people that you could give hope to and you could help and it's amazing that this doctor uh, what a testimony yes he by seeing your work he said well i now i think god is in this place yes. and that's that's our prayer that through each and every one of us wherever we go yes. uh, people will recognize hey you 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 brought hope you bring yes. hope yeah. And I, I t share that story actually in Decisions Determined Destiny, which is a book that I wrote yeah. about a lot of my mission experiences there uh, because I wanted to share how God led me, directed me. Uh -huh. And uh, I must admit, one of the things that I had want to tell people is that I didn't have a clue what I was going to face when I was on that plane flying out there. I didn't know what I was going to be doing from day to day. Uh -huh. When we arrived, we were told there's going to be somebody meet us from the government, that we would have transportation, that we would have housing. None of that happened. You Nobody met us. Wow. We had no hotel. <laughs> yeah. We didn't know what we were going to do. Now that you talk about flying by the seat of your pants, but we weren't because the Holy Spirit was with us. God was with us. Absolutely. God went before us. Yes. And so it all worked out. In fact, some of the experiences were some of the most incredible. In fact, we ended up having a man that owned uh, some huts uh, up in a game reserve that was about an hour away from the camp mm -hmm. that we were working in. And it was not safe to stay in the camp during the day. I mean, uh, one man in the day we arrived, a uh, hand grenade was thro uh, thrown. The people oh, were wow. hungry for food. They had uh, many people there, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. And so they were trying to distribute food. And, and uh, so it was a very dangerous place. They had soldiers there to try to bring order to mm -hmm. the situation. But we went out to a game reserve. And here I am. We're facing death and dying during the day, having to go over there at night. And we're passing baboons and hippopotami and other wow. <laughs> creatures. And it was one of the most incredible experiences. So stayed into a little hut. Yeah. Uh, and during the night, I would hear hippopotami walking beside the hut. Crunch, crunch, yeah. crunch, crunch, as they were going right beside where it was surreal. Here Amazing. we are dealing yeah. with death and dying in the yeah. day. And then we stayed in a place where we could at least get a shower and sleep. Wow. Wow. That's, that sounds fascinating and overwhelming at the same time yes. when you hear about suffering and uh, and devastation uh that was uh, created there so so um i know um you mentioned something to me before the podcast about this experience if you can share briefly with uh, uh, uh happens somewhere in russia you said yes that was up in sortovala in karelia area that uh -huh. used to be part of finland but then it was now part of Russia at that particular time. And we were in Sortovala and we set up a tent and set up a medical clinic there. Uh -huh. And we were sharing Christ with the patients when they would come in medically. And one of the experiences that I had that I'll never forget, uh, the interpreter that I had was Ludmilla. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was not a believer, but she was an English teacher in the local school. And so she became one of our interpreters. Well, she interpreted for me. Well, I didn't stop sharing Christ with patients. I'd examine them, treat them medically, tell them what medicines I was going to give them. But then uh, I would share Christ with them. And so she was leading people to Christ as an interpreter for me without being a Christian herself. But by the end of that first day, she ended up receiving Christ as her personal savior. And oh. she ended up looking at me and she says, can I bring one of my students with me tomorrow? I said, sure. 
So I, she invited her student uh, to come in. Her name was Elena. Mm -hmm. And uh, Elena sat in and uh, after seeing several patients and I would be praying with different patients after I would treat them medically, um, I turned to Elena. She was a very beautiful student, probably 20, 21 years of age. And I looked at her, I said, Elena, I said, uh, do you believe in God? She says, no. Well, that kind of took me back. Yeah. What do you see at yeah. that particular point? Because, you know, you're in Russia at that particular time. She was raised atheist. Yeah. I, uh, she said, no, I don't believe in God. Well, I said, rather than being put off by that, I said, uh, you've heard of uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit that you would have learned from the Orthodox or heard about the Orthodox Church. She said, yes, I've, I've heard about the, the Trinity before. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I want to tell you a story. Uh, in the book of Revelations, chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, Jesus says he stands at the door of a person's heart and he knocks. And he says, if anybody will hear my voice and will open up the door, I will come into them mm -hmm. and I will fellowship with them. And I, I would embellish that a little bit and say fellowship with them, eat with them and, yeah. and uh, give them eternal life. And I would and forgive their sins. And I, as I said that to her about God, uh, Jesus knocking on their heart's door, the presence of the Holy Spirit came down like a cloud. It was so thick you could almost touch it. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit was so strong. And I looked at Elena and I said, Elena, do you feel like maybe Jesus is knocking on your heart's door? Now, she had just told me she didn't believe in God. Mm -hmm. And she looked back at me and she said, yes. So I said, well, invite him in. And so we prayed the sinner's uh -huh. prayer. She received Christ as a personal savior. And then I went on to explain to her what had just happened. I talked about the concept of being born again. Mm -hmm. And about uh, and uh, so after I explained that concept to her, she looked around and she pointed to the chair that she had been sitting in when she prayed. And she said, that's the chair I was born in. Now here she went from saying she didn't believe in God mm -hmm. to saying, uh, that's where I was born I was spiritually, born yes. right there. Yes. It's incredible. And then I went to her, I said, Elena, you can't live for God without reading the Bible and staying attached to Jesus. Mm -hmm. He said, Jesus said, he's the vine, we're the branches. Yes. And he, he that abides in him and Jesus will flow through them and then they'll produce fruit in yes. their life. And I said, God wants to be in your life on a daily basis. And if you really rely on him and get a Bible, because we gave a Bible to her, I said, you will be able to get through this and uh, grow. And so she did that. And, and she yeah. ultimately became a student that worked with her teacher, Ludmilla, and they formed a Bible club that Ludmilla and her, wow. and yeah. her husband formed a, a, a Bible study group right there. So God, here's a person that told me they didn't believe in God. Mm -hmm who became a believer in just a few minutes and had the understanding to say, that's the chair I was born in. It just blew me away. That's amazing how God could use your medical skills to go and help people, but at the same time, uh, not only help them physically, but give them a spiritual hope too and, uh, and set them on the right track and, and uh, bring them to Jesus basically. And uh, that's an inc incredible testimony. Thank you for joining us today. Dr. Williams is going to be with us next time again, and we're going to continue our conversation. Meanwhile, you can go to his website, iachanequips.org, and find out more about his life and ministry. And until next time, remember, your life is not an accident, but you have a destiny. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that you are inspired and encouraged. If you have questions, comments, and would like to stay in touch, please write us at connect 
at destinycarolina.com. We hope you'll join us next time. May God bless you and always remember, your life is not an accident. You have a destiny.